You're listening to Ben and Bikes with your host, Ben Lockett. This podcast is about bikes, but more about the people who ride them and their stories, and less about frame size, shock technology, or even the Tour de France. This is Ben and Bikes, where every bike tells a story. One of the tools I can't do without when making episodes for the Ben and Bikes podcast is a great pair of headphones. I use them when interviewing my guests and I use them in the editing process. I need to hear every word. I choose to use a pair of Studio Regents which provide impeccable clarity and well-balanced sound, making show audio and music sound great. I couldn't be happier. The good news for listeners to this podcast is that you can get a pair of these headphones or another style that fits your needs at a 15% discount. You should also know that they ship worldwide at no extra cost. Just go to studio.com, that's S-U-D-I-O.com, make your selection, and when you check out, use discount code Ben and Bikes, all one word. You can also find a link to their website by visiting benandbikes.com. And now to this week's episode. It was surfing legend and fitness guru, Laird Hamilton, who once said, make sure your worst enemy doesn't live between your own two ears. There is meaning in this quote for both the sport he loves and for all aspects of life. So often sports metaphors make this transitive leap. Others include driving for show, putting for dough, set your goals high and don't stop till you get there. If you fail to prepare, you're prepared to fail. And my personal favorite, if a tie is like kissing your sister, losing is like kissing your grandmother with her teeth out. This is one of the reasons why I have so much belief in the power of sport to teach us how to live our lives and deal with everyday challenges. For kids, sport is an irreplaceable teacher of perseverance, teamwork, training, and humility to name but a few. Today's guest is someone who takes these parallels between sport and life very seriously. Six-time Californian State Criterion Champion, two-time silver medalist at the Masters National Criterion Championships, SoCal Cup overall winner in 2012, to name a few. By its very definition, he is a champion of his sport, but it is his approach that is most inspirational. He once said, you gotta practice your winning pose because it's gonna happen. Translation, if you don't think you're gonna win, what's the point? Sharon Smith, welcome to the Ben and Bikes podcast. What up, what up, what up? <laughs> you know what time it is, podcast time. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so, the uh, the the quote that I just just read out to you, I had uh, I grabbed off uh, a bicycling magazine uh, quote from you. What what does that quote actually mean to you? Well, personally, it it means a great deal to me. Right, it carries a lot of weight and volume to me because I'm big on visualization and seeing things before they happen. I'm a faith type of guy, so um, it basically means putting pressure on yourself and having belief in yourself based on the work you have done to get to that moment, um, if I could say. Like, for example, I, I would like to use my racing, right? 
I train. We all train as cyclists or athletes. It don't matter if it's cycling, basketball, football, golf, tennis, soccer. You all, we all practice and train to perfect whatever that craft is we're we're doing. So um, I believe in practicing it and practicing my pose because I believe if I'm putting in the time and effort, success is going to come my way. It's just it's just a part of the equation, the way the world has been set up. So. Um, if that makes sense, that's what it means to me. I know I sound like I was rambling. <laughs> no, not, not, not at all. But I like to think that people have different perceptions of what winning actually means. To, to you as a, as a fast uh, bike racer, a racing snake, as I would call you, it's the, you know, winning to you means getting to the highest spot on the podium. For others, it could be finishing a race for the first time with asthma or completing a century ride for the first time. Would, would you agree with that concept? Most definitely, I would. I mean, I think it begins, it begins with where you, how far are you coming from and where you started, right? Exactly. So in the beginning, when I first started, it becomes, okay, I want to finish the race. Okay, now I want to place better. Okay, I placed six. There's probably several things that I did wrong that's stopping me from winning. What do I need to do to get to the top step? So, yeah, in, 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 that, in a nutshell, yes, it's all part of the Baby Steps program. Completely. So um, it would be great to know, like, who, who is Sharon Smith? Sharon Smith, I'm, at the core, I'm an inspirational and motivational guy at the core of me. I want to see people succeed. Um, I want to see people believe in themselves more. Um, I believe we all were placed here on planet Earth to do something amazing because we each all are individuals. There, there's only one of, one, of, one of you, Ben. There's one of me um, as a Sharon. There's no other like me in the world. And I believe there's a reason why we're all so unique and different. And sometimes I'll run across people who, are, who necessarily have, have some low self-esteem. They don't believe that they can win or accomplish and so I like to tap into the triggers of like people and say, "Look, man, you can win. You can do it. Why can't you do it? I mean, you're you're not a waste of waste of breath. Um, you, you're born with purpose and a reason. So, at the core, that's who I am. Um, I just come from a cycling platform because the success that I've been able to obtain has created um, has given me this platform to make my words kind of stand out a little louder." or get a further reach, not saying that I'm better or any different than anyone else, but through success, I'm trying to use my platform to show other people's, people the way. So you are a, uh, a Criterion champion. Um, could you help people understand what a Criterion bike race is? In a nutshell, to me, it's, it's like it's NASCAR on bikes. You know, there's a lot of bumping, there's a lot of banging, um, there's a lot of talking going on within the race. It's like, I tell people, it's like playing chess at 28, 30 miles an hour. For those who aren't familiar with criterium racing or um, cycling, so just imagine NASCAR, um, but it's, it's powered by human beings pedaling the bike. So, um, that's what it is to me when I try to explain it to someone. So how, how far are you racing a bike in a Criterium race? Um, 
it varies. Some races are 60 minutes, some races are 90 minutes. 60 minutes, we may cover 24, 25 miles, but we're averaging 27, 28, 30 miles an hour for that duration. Um, 90 minutes could be 40 miles. So uh, it's time, and we cover a certain amount of distance within that time period. Right. Depending on the course, and if they give us the full 60 or the full 90. I assume you know, the the great thing about uh, being in a NASCAR race is that you're in a car in a roll cage with a helmet with fireproof clothing and goodness knows what other safety devices. Um, yes. But when you're on a bike, you have none of that. So I assume that it hurts a lot when you crash and that crashing happens an awful lot. Yes. Um it's, it's kind of taboo. As cyclists, we don't like to talk about crashing. <laughs> yeah, but right. every every so often, you have to make a deposit, you know, to the ground. I mean, <laughs> you're pulling out, you're taking all these risks, and every so often, you're going to... Matter of fact, I was in, in Chicago three weeks ago with my buddy, my business partner, Rasan Bahati. We was at the Glencoe um, race, and it's been going on for a number of years. Um, I got invited out with Rasan, went out five laps into the race, and this guy takes a risk that he shouldn't have taken. He bumps somebody back wheel. He makes it through and take out like eight of us. I crashed. I, luckily, I landed on the grass. I, I got back in the race and finished the race. But, um, yeah, so you just never know. It's, it's, I think it's the thrill and the rush that, that the racing gives you hoping that you don't crash because you're seeking success and sometimes you take these risks. But, yeah, we're, we're a little tougher than NASCAR guys. Um, <laughs> I like to think because we're, we're just riding with this little Lycra suit on and a helmet and gloves. Some guys prefer not to wear gloves. So, um, and it's just us in the ground and many bodies are sound surrounded around us at, at high speed. Right. So uh, tell tell us about a bit about where you where you grew up. I know you're from Los Angeles, but tell us a little about about your your upbringing um, before you know you found cycling. Um, well, I grew up in inner city. I shared the story with some people in the past. You know, um, it's not the suburbs. It's not some of the areas that I race and train in currently. It's completely different. So. Um, you know, I, I grew up with my childhood. Two of my childhood friends are no longer here due to gang and drug violence. Huh. Um, I played with these young men every day. You know, I snuck them in the house when my mom was at work, and she said she didn't want no one in the house. Right. Um, I was fortunate to make it out um, through my mom remarrying, and we moved to a different city, and my environment totally shifted. Well, so interesting to me when I moved from South Central, it's called now South LA, but those who grew up and was raised in that area, we still call it South Central. Um, they, um, I, I found like when I moved to Long Beach, it was, it was kind of like a culture shock to me because I didn't see many polices in the neighborhood that I moved into and where I grew up at, I was accustomed to seeing a police roll by every 15 to 20 minutes. Right. And I was like, man, where, where the heck are the police? I mean, what, it was like, it was so weird. Like, man, I got taken out of one environment and put in another environment. Um, 
it kind of changed me some in my outlook. And I share with people that I think there are many Sharons in the inner city. They're just, sometimes you get stuck in your bubble and you don't, you don't get outside your bubble and you don't understand that there's a completely different world outside of where you're at. And I most certainly was in that bubble and then realized that there was a whole nother world outside what I was inside, what I was in. Yeah, absolutely. So, so how, how did you get into cycling then? Um, by chance. Um, I started, you know, it's funny, I posted something on my Instagram page today, or maybe not today, I'm sorry, two, three days ago, my last post, and I was sharing my story, how I fell into cycling by, by chance, and I didn't go into the full dialogue, you know, I said I, I, I started lifting weights after high school, um, after so many years, maybe after 10 years of lifting weights, um, I started seeing a young lady I wanted to meet that I shared in the past. Yes. And, you know, she caught my eye. I mean, I'm a guy, I'm attracted to women, and I wanted to meet her. But, of course, I was timid about this class because I was supposed to be this tough, big, strong guy. And I'm going to potentially enter this class where everyone's wearing tights <laughs> and pelling these, pelling around and on this bike that's not physically moving. <laughs> And it's all women in there. So I was like, okay, no men are in there. This is not tough. This is not cool. And But, you know, the power of wanting to meet the woman sucked me into the class. I had no choice because she was just about that class and she was out the door. I studied her for a minute. You know, as men, we were typically considered hunters. So we watch our prey before we go in for the kill. So I... I said, man, I have no shot at meeting her because all she does is this class and she's out the door. She's never on the gym floor. So, yeah, I was forced to take that class. And, uh, of course, then I went and bought a bike. One thing led to another. And now you have Sharon, and I'm on this podcast. Even this wouldn't have happened today if it wasn't for that woman in that class. It's pretty crazy. I, I, I'm I'm glad that you consider being on the Ben and Bug, Ben and Bikes podcast to be the high water mark of yours of your cycling career. Man, I wouldn't have made it here, Ben, if it wasn't for that young lady. She she got to get a lot of credit for this here. Every day, two dozen people for bike staffers go to work at our Colorado headquarters, in the field, and in Washington D.C. Our team focuses on making every bike ride safer easier to access, and more fun. One way we do this is by monitoring all 50 state legislatures for bills related to bike riding and taking action to push them through or defeat them. Often what we find surprises us. Today's installment of surprising bike legislation comes to us from Oregon, the first state to pass a bike-specific tax. First approved by Oregon lawmakers last summer, the original legislation imposed a 5% tax on new bicycles as a part of a multi-billion dollar transportation funding package. Under this mandate, a $3,000 bike would be subject to a $150 tax. Despite its potential to generate revenue for new bike infrastructure, People for Bikes vigorously opposed this tax due to the adverse effects it would likely have on bicycle retailers and Oregonians who want to purchase and ride new bikes. Working with bike industry members and Oregon advocacy groups, 
we launched campaigns at the grassroots and industry levels, including hundreds of phone calls to business owners and constant communication with the legislature's Joint Committee on Transportation that authored the bill. As a result of these efforts, lawmakers revised the bicycle tax to ease the burden on bike purchasers, mandating a $15 flat fee on new bicycles that retail for $200 or more and have a wheel size that is 26 inches or greater. In February, the legislation was again modified, eliminating the minimum wheel size requirement that had previously prevented many children's bicycles from being taxed. With this change, purchasers of any new bicycles that cost $200 or more will now be required to pay $15 regardless of wheel size. A bad deal for families with kids. So did you get a date with this young lady? I did. Uh-huh. We, we went to a play. Um, we went to dinner a couple of times. And, you know, it's funny. I don't even know why we ended up stopped talking. But um, we stopped talking, and she still follows my cycling some to this day. She's <laughs> married now. Harry, she's not a big Instagram person. I think she works in child development. She does something. She has a very great job. Uh-huh. And she travels some with her husband, and she shares pictures because we follow each other. But we, we're not in contact of any form. But social media has kept uh, us connected, that, thankfully. That. So I can see that she's still doing well. She can track my career some, and well, my cycling um, path. I don't want to say career because I'm posting mostly of my cycling stuff. So you 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 buy a bike after after spinning. Um, how does how does the how does that path connect the dots for me between buying that bike and actually becoming like one of the most successful Criterion races of of California, or or even the nation? It's, yeah, um, I don't. It's kind of it's, it's weird how how life evolves for all of us as individuals. And most certainly me, um, because I had no no intentions of, of, of doing any of this, which I'm doing now. Right. Um, I just bought the bike because I wanted to explore more and become more free. And and so, yeah, I, I think it, it just it's kind of, it's kind of hard to explain some. Um to a degree, I guess, because I because the way it happened, you know, I went and bought a bike on the whim by a, at a bike shop that was near my house. They sold me a bike too big. I didn't know it was too big. I knew nothing about cycling. To my buddy Rasan Bahadi, dad told me I look funny on my bike. I'm like, what you mean, man? This is a cool bike. I, <laughs> I feel cool on this bike. Yeah. Here I am racing and thinking that I got a cool bike, and I'm on a, a bike that's that's actually too big for me. Huh. So um, it it just it just evolved like one thing just led to another, and I just kept riding the wave to the to the point that I'm at today as um with my team that I run with with a couple of partners. Yep. But not, none of it was was planned out. So tell me tell me about your training regime because my, my uh, uh, research tell look, from the research that I've done it looks like you put a lot of planning and effort into your training and that's 
a very big part of your success. So can we can you talk about your you know how you structure your training, where you train, kind of what what it means to you when you train? Just give us your your thoughts on on that side of your of your uh, your uh, cycling. Yes, um, my training. I, I don't want to say I feel like it's different, but I'm not necessarily sure because I don't know how each in, each other individuals train. Um, being that I work, and I like to think that most of my competitors are working class people, individuals as well. If they're not paid professionally doing cycling full-time for a living. Um, so my miles are basically logged during the week from riding to and from work. You know, I, I have this hashtag, bike commuter. Um, I kind of roll with it. I think it's cool. Um, I, I'm, I'm big on being like the common man. I, I, I find, um, I guess I, I find a lot of happiness in the common person. Right. So I'm rolling with this bike commuter thing. So on typically on Tuesdays and Thursdays, those are, you know, big training days for me. Uh, Mondays, I typically don't ride. Uh, my commute in the work isn't very far. It's six miles one way. I extend it by taking a long route home. Um, now that we're in the summer months here in SoCal, the sun goes down a little later. On Tuesday, I'm doing 70 miles, um, about three and a half hours, an hour of intensity training with a group of our Tuesday night worlds we do here at El Dorado Park, set up as a race. Um, so that's my intensity I do for the week on Tuesdays. Um, but that's done like after working a full eight to nine hour shift. Right. And then I'm going to train doing my main work after work. I'm like, okay. I got to muster up this energy to do the work, right? Uh, Sometimes I don't want to do it. Like on Thursdays, I, if I'm training for a specific event, I go to Palos Verdes um, and do my climbing. My hill work is which I, I, my power comes from, I like to believe. I have some natural ability, but, you know, if I don't do the work and go climb when I don't want to climb, my natural ability isn't going to show as much because, Everything we do in life is about, you know, making deposits. I like to call my training. Um, I'm putting a deposit in the bank because when I race, I need to withdraw on race day. But if I'm not depositing it in the bank, I can't withdraw. So um, a lot of my work is doing done by commuting back and forth to work. Yep. And then on the weekend, but everyone's kind of free on the weekend. So um, when- I don't, I don't want to see that a big difference. When does the uh, when does the criterium season uh, begin and finish? Um, unfortunately, here in SoCal, it starts in January. Um, huh. I say unfortunately because I think that's very early to start a season because we have so much, so many wonderful months here. Um, I wish we started racing mid February, early March, and then run to like. September, but since we start here in January, heck, we're about to end our we're we're out of like local races. Come, I want to say the end of July, right? Maybe early August, and we still have all of August, which is amazing weather. September's amazing weather, 
and then it's like it's no racing going on. I don't know if the promoters are um, so ambitious to get this money because we ride year-round out here, and they're like, man, let's start this race season right now. Let's get this money. And, uh, heck, I guess by August, they're vacationing on some island or something somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> After they, they ran us through the – not that they ran us through the ground, but, but, yeah, our season starts early. So in the East Coast and the Midwest, they're still racing um, when we're pretty much wrapping up because we start so early. Um, our team, Methods to Winning, we're flying to Chicago the end of July because there's really no racing going on here. So we're going to Chicago. They have a 10, 10-day race series called Intelligentsia. So we're going to go and support that event um, with some of our guys for the last five days of, of the series. Right. So Where, where are nationals? Nationals has happened already for Master Nats. Oh. Um, if I would have went and did, I didn't do Nationals this year. This is the first year in probably four or five years that I didn't do it. It was in Augusta, Georgia, where it was at last year. And it was just because I was traveling so much. Um, I was away for Glencoe. I was in Chicago. Then I was at Tulsa Tough the following weekend. And then I was here racing or training or doing something. No, the week before I traveled to Chicago, I had state, the crit state championship here. And then I flew to Chicago, came home for a few days. Then I flew to Tosa, came home. And last week I didn't race um, just because I was, because nationals was last week, but I was traveling so much. And I, you know, I just don't ride a bike and work. You know, I, I manage my church staff at church. And I truly dislike being away from them as a leader mm -hmm. for several weeks at a time. Yep. And you know, I just needed to be present for them. I, I believe as a leader of any organization, if you can't be present when, when needed, then, I mean, you're failing as a leader. And what's funny, I was away for a week or two, and one of my staff leads, my directors, who directs when I'm not directing, said, Shroud, we need a meeting. Um, things are kind of slipping. And so I called the mandatory department meeting last Sunday, and I set that meeting two weeks prior. And so it was no way. I, I could have said, you know what, let's cancel the meeting. I'm going to be selfish, and I'm going to nationals. But, you know, I, I have a responsibility, and I was like, you know what, I can't go to nationals. I was away the week before. I have to make sure that the department understands that I care and I'm here for them, um, just like they care and they're, they're there for me in my absence if I'm out doing a race that particular week. So, uh, yeah, I didn't make nationals this year. And my fitness wasn't where it needed to be as well. You know, at the state crit championships, I don't want to say I lost focus, but I kind of just took a break in my training and my dieting, and I would have been – um, not where I wanted to be going into an event that way when some of the top guys in the country are going out and the goal is to win. Yep. And I don't want to go and just have step something of that magnitude and do myself a disservice. So um, I wasn't in a place where I, I think that I could have been successful. I could have probably tried to fake it and, and gutted it out, but I want to go to nationals with, you know, with, with, my fitness where it needs to be. So if I fail, I want to fail due to 
something out of my control, like a crash, um, a mechanical or, or something of that nature. But I don't want to have my fitness fail me because I know I didn't do the work um, leading up to it. I've got this image of you um, making too many visits to In-N-Out Burger. Making too many? <laughs> no, um, it's the it's we have this healthy organic market. They open by my house, and it's amazing. <laughs> and they have this this wonderful carrot cake. It's like a cupcake, but oh man, <laughs> it's it's not so good for me. But it's like it's so good, and and it's like literally, I'm coming off the freeway. I pass it every day. It's like man, I need to run in here and get this cupcake filled. I kept getting this carrot cupcake, laying in my bed, watching Sports Center, and I was like, I was like, oh crap, Sharon, you just you putting on a little weight. I'm still fit, but I'm not like race fit like I need to be. Right. So, right. Yeah. I, I kind of I want to find the balance, you know, in the cycling and, and, and journey. Yep. Some guys take it like so serious where it's like, oh no, I can't eat this, I can't eat that. And next thing you know, you're like a robot. So I don't want to become a robot on the bike where I'm not enjoying life totally. while I'm uh, competing. I'm interrupting this week's episode to tell you about Studio headphones. If you were listening at the beginning of this week's episode, you will have heard me talking about the Studio Regent headphones I use. You'll have to believe me when I say that they are some of the best headphones I have ever used and I really couldn't do without them. Studio are a Swedish company who have bridged the gap between style and technology, providing a product that matches the quality of the highest rated headphones on the market for a fraction of the cost. The good news for listeners to this podcast is that you can get a pair of these headphones at a 15% discount. Just go to studio.com, that's S-U-D-I-O.com, make your selection, and when you check out, use discount code Ben and Bikes, all one word. You can also find a link to their website by visiting benandbikes.com. And now, back to the podcast. So uh, I was looking at your, uh, your Strava page, uh, and I saw you uh, getting to know Mark Cavendish pretty well. Uh, when, did yeah. that, when did that happen? Um, we met some years ago. I, I don't know the year exactly. I want to say maybe six years ago or five years ago. Uh -huh. um, my previous team director, Mike Fiello, um, Oakley was sponsoring our team back then. And Steve Blick, who was over the road division of Oakley at that time, invited Mike Fiello, Mike, of course, ended up inviting me. I was the team captain of the team. And he said, hey, as an opportunity, Cavendish is coming to do some things for Oakley. We'll have a small, intimate ride that's happening. It's like 10 people invited. If you want to come, you can come. At that time, Mark Cavendish was the top sprinter in the world, right. hands down. Right. And I was like, yeah, I want to come. What I, I put in a vacation day, I'll miss work, whatever. You know, this is, this doesn't happen like every day in life where Mark Cavendish you can ride with the top guy in the world. Just imagine Peter Sagan was the guy, is the guy now. Right. Mark Cavendish was that, that celebrity in our sport at that time. Right. So we met, um, it was pouring raining in SoCal when he came, unfortunately. It rained for three hours that we rode. Um, 
we got to talk, and I want to say we had somewhat of a connection. Um, and I don't want to just say that like, like I'm cool, or I'm hip, but we started talking, we laughed. Um, he said, "Man, you're a sprinter, huh?" And I said, "Yeah, I sprint a little." He said, "Yeah, I could tell by your calves or your legs." And so then I asked him about Kittle, because this one Kittle was Marcel Kittle was first coming on the scene. Yep. And um, I said, "Hey, man, how's this Kittle guy? Is he is he faster than you?" And I lit a fire in Cavendish when I asked him that. I think. <laughs> Because he, he went on to talk about his, like, oh, no, nah, he's fast, but he's not faster than me. He didn't win the world championship when he was my age. He didn't win X amount of Tour de France stages when he was my age. I was like, oh, man, you know what, what was so cool about that moment uh. is that no matter what level of competitor you are, if someone pressed that button, it will turn, uh, it turns on that champion switch. And I was like, man, I see why he wins so much. That's right. Um, you know, he, I, I pressed the button, and I, I took a picture, and a lot of people saw it on social media. And my buddy in San Diego told me, he's like, hey, man, Cavendish came, he came to San, San Diego. Because at the time, he had a, a great friend named Cal Cutrell. I can't, I don't want to screw his last name up. But he's from the Isle of Man, the same place Cavendish is from. But he was staying in San Diego. Huh. He races the MotoGP. Huh. But he was living in San Diego, so him and Cavendish was hanging out. But he was freak. He was attending some of the group rides, and my buddy said, "Hey, yeah, you roll with my 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 friend Sharon." And he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that guy." <laughs> and it was like I was like, "Man, I knew we had a connection." Yeah. And then I said, "Man, I should have got his email or something." And so then when he came back here this year for the tour of California. I was riding with Lotto Jumbo because Pioneer um, sponsors Lotto Jumbo World Tour team and they sponsor our team. So I got invited to ride with them and we ended up doing a coffee ride. And Cavendish just happened to be randomly at this coffee shop that um, I shared a picture of me and him at. And it wasn't planned. I didn't plan on running into him there. And when I saw him, I was like, hey, man, I was like, I didn't know what's up. He's like, man, I was just telling Sellers about you. Um, <laughs> this guy named Greg Sellers over Monster Energy and Monster Milk. They're a huge um, drink company, and um, they sponsor our team now, and they're sponsoring Mark Cavendish. He's like, yeah, I was telling Sellers about you. I was just talking about you. I was like, man, that's crazy. I haven't seen this guy in six years. We really don't know each other, but he... He remembered me for some reason, so I thought that was cool. That made my day. Um, so, I mean, here I am, this guy who bikes can use to work, and I happen to race. Yeah. And Mark Cavendish remembers me. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's good. Yeah, but meeting Mark Cavendish is nothing compared to being on the Ben and Bikes podcast, right? Uh, this this has to rank slightly above Cavendish. <laughs> Good, good, good answer. That's great. So, you, you know, I've got to ask you, right? So do you, do you think you could take him in a sprint? Uh, well, I should be like Cavendish, right? Yeah, I think I could take him as a competitor. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's different, I think, at that level. Um, I had a buddy, Hilton Clark. He raced domestic pro 
for a number of years, and he was on United Healthcare. He was their captain um, for many years, and he won many big races here in America at the very at the pro level for Criterium. And um, I asked him, I was like, I said, um, so what is it like racing, you know, with with some of the bigger bigger teams and bigger guys? And he said, man, some I think you guys. Some of you guys may give me a run for my money uh-huh. if I came and raced some of your races because the level, the speed is, is, is a little, not a little, should I say a lot? I don't want to say a lot because then it makes it seem like I'm not racing really that, that hard or that cool. <laughs> but there's, the speed is different. So he says, you guys, intensity isn't at the level that our intensity is at. Right. So I probably wouldn't do as well. And I'm like, man, if it's a little less, why wouldn't you do as well? So they need it so high. It, it's just nuts racing at that level. You know, I'm, I'm a little older now, um, and I still dabble with some pro races, but I do master races as well. And the difference is, to me, when I race locally from the pro and the master level, the speeds aren't aren't a big difference. It's more of the... The, the chaos that is going on within the race, the kids who are 20 to 25, 26, who may not necessarily have a full-time job or a family they're supporting, they're not necessarily thinking about crashing or getting injured. Um, they don't have a job that they have to be at the next day after race day. Yep. So I just think it's, a, it's just a little more chaotic, the intensity yep. of bumping and stuff is just different as opposed to master racing. There's a little more respect. Right. Well, uh, maybe because it's more experience in a Peloton um, as well. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I, I would say in the unlikely event that Mark Cavendish is listening to the Ben and Bikes podcast, uh, Sharon Smith says he can take you. And, uh, yeah. I, and I think you should come out to California and let's see that race happen. Uh, I'd pay good money to see that. <laughs> hey, this might make it across the pond. Or, or, yeah. Hey, you guys choose the spot uh, and, and, and people will come and watch it. I guarantee it. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so, Sharon, you know, looking, looking back and, you know, on the years that you, uh, you, you've been doing this, and I certainly don't want to make you sound like an old man at this point, but you've you've been uh, competing at this level for for a long time if you were to think of some of the things that cycling has given to you um what what would you say what what springs to mind if i was to ask you that i think it helps help me um believe in myself a little more and understanding that um through the struggle there there's something on the other side of it that's waiting for you I think a lot of, of cycling is, is, is a lot of suffering and enduring. And um, once you get success in cycling, it, it translates over into to aspects of your life. Like for me, sometimes work gets stressful and it gets hard because things aren't planned out properly and things are given to me last minute. And I then I have to end up finishing the job. And I'm like, dude, why wasn't... X, Y, and Z, 
then sometimes I relate back to climbing or suffering on the hill or suffering in a race. Just just push through. You're going to make it. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. Um, so so cycling has given me some clarity and just learning how to endure and, and push through. Like the pain is temporary, um, but once you make it through that pain, it takes you to a new threshold that you, you could potentially get to and make in life. So if, if I could say something, I would like to say it's given me the belief to know that I can make it through things yep. do, do by you, not giving up. Do, do you, I mean, cycling's become such a big part of your life. Um, do you ever wonder what would have happened if you hadn't plucked up the nerve to go into that spin class? Sometimes I do, yeah. I often do. Like, cycling has, um, it, it changed my, my life in a way where I've met some people, some amazing people that I have not, that I wouldn't have never met, right? Like, right. I've rubbed shoulders with some CEOs, some movers and shakers in the cycling industry who's, who's, who, um, who says, who okays things. Like, for example, my, and I'm not trying to necessarily plug anyone intentionally. Like my clothing sponsor, Eliel, right? They sponsor our team. They've been a part of our team for four or five years. Um, I work directly with the CEO of this company. I work directly with their brand manager and their marketing manager. Um, and that that's only come by. I don't. I don't. It's kind of it's like for this and pioneer. I work directly with the VP, right? Right. Um, when I when we need something or something comes up, I I can shoot him an email. I can shoot him a text. He may not get right back to me like immediately, but he gets back to me in maybe two three days. And sometimes it's taught me taught me how like. Man, Sharon, be patient. You know, you're not dealing with just somebody who's a salesperson who's, um, you know, at their desk and waiting on you to call. So, um, do do you ever have you ever considered, or, or maybe you do this already, but considered uh, reaching back out to some people who would would be growing up in very similar circumstances to you as a kid, and and maybe through some of your early twenties. And and getting them, you know, out of that bubble that you referred to, and and getting them onto a bike. I I thought about that, and I I shared that with some friends of mine. You know, like I I I, I want to do more, Ben, and it 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 becomes like a time yeah situation for me. Yeah. Like, okay, I work full time, I train, I manage a church staff. I manage our cycling team. I'm dealing with sponsors. Um, under that, we are within that. I still have our Methods to Winning LLC, which is our company where we we offer events and seminars. So it's like I, I want to do more. I want to have more. I just need time, and it's like okay. Sometimes I'm like, man, should I take the leap of faith and just go? and explore something different um, and see if I could dedicate my life and more time to that. I wish there was a, I guess, an avenue where I could, where, where some organization um, had someone that can reach out to me or, or um, contact me in some way where I could, where I could dedicate X amount of hours 
a month or every other month. Yeah. In helping get yeah. back. Because I, I truly believe, for example, you got to think about this, Ben. Sharon Smith, which is myself, I'm speaking in third person, I know, because I got critics out there. Um, <laughs> Justin Williams. Okay, you got Corey Williams, who is Justin Williams' younger brother. You have Rasan Bahati. We're all from the same neighborhood. Huh. Not necessarily the same block. I'm, I'm not speaking in that terms, but we're all from South Central, the four of us, right? Yep. At one point, Rasan Bahati was probably the fastest guy, if not top three, top five fastest guys in America. He won U.S. Pro um, when he was at the top of his game. Justin Williams currently, I would like to say, he's the fastest criterium racing in a racer in America right now. There's other fast guys. But if I have to put my money on somebody, I'm going to put it on Justin. He's racing solo without a team this whole year, doing these races from London to Chicago to New York, wherever. And he's winning without a team. Yeah. I mean, and those who race Criterium Racing know that it's very, very tough to win a race with a team. And if you're doing it without a team, that speaks volumes. But we're all from the same place, the inner city. And so I know if it was if us four are from this pocket, there's and there's many many great athletes that come out. Not saying that there's not great athletes that come out the suburbs or other city. I don't want to say that at all. Yeah. But they're great athletes in in inner city, and it's just exposure. Like we don't know about cycling in a in a neighborhood. It's right. like a taboo sport to us. <laughs> you know, you, some people may see us riding like, man, what the hell? Like when I first bought my bike. I had roommates at that time. I came home with this bike and tights, and my buddy's like, man, what the hell are you doing, man? Do we, do we need to talk? I was like, what you mean? He said, man, we don't, we don't do that. We don't put on tights, man, and ride bikes. Are you, do you need to tell me something? So uh, that's how, how weird this sport is to us in the, in the neighborhood, you yeah. know? But, but I can just about guarantee you that, there's some other Sharons and Justin's and Rasans in the neighborhoods, but... Um, there is an organization. Uh, it's actually based out of Los Angeles. Um, and I think it's Los Angeles. If it's not LA, it's San Fran. Um, and it's called the National Interscholastic Cycling Association. Uh, it is getting high school kids onto mountain bikes. Um, and there are about 15,000 kids now who are part of that organization. Um, there is a fantastic video, which I will send you the link of, called um, uh, Single Track High, uh, all, about a high school in, all about a high school in Los Angeles uh, that trains on a baseball diamond and an overpass. Um, and um, I'm going to connect you to their executive director. His name's Austin McInerney. And you never know, right? Uh, it's not road yeah. riding or criterion, but he might have some connections and some ideas. And like you say, you do, you know, time time is the challenge, but but you never know. Yeah. Um. Good. Good organization. Yeah. Send me that information. Um. Potentially, maybe it'll lead to something else, like this podcast, right? Right. Exactly. This was random. It's it's crazy how things in life. 
are so random and wasn't planned. I mean, like I met Gloria yeah. from Bicycling Magazine. Yes. Who who introduced us? Yes. Right. Correct. Um, by chance, yes. he reached out to me via my Instagram. Yeah. Which I thought was fascinating. I was <laughs> like, man, how you find me out? Of all these people, what you like? Bicycling Magazine, the number one magazine in the world. That's right. I go like, oh, your your Instagram feed. Yeah. I'm like, man, it's crazy. It is. Like, Everything, a lot of things that has happened to me within the cycling culture and era has all been by, you know, it just evolved into, into, um, into what it is, you know, it's like she, she makes it, reached out to me. We did a, 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 not a video, a photo shoot. They did an article about legs and cycling. Um, they thought my legs were some of the cool legs, so they used my legs with a <laughs> number of other people's legs. Uh, and then uh-huh. you reached out to me via Gloria. Correct. Uh, mentioning it to me. Right. Uh, and so none of this wasn't scripted. No. But, but it, it, it happened. And um, I, I just believe in, in putting out putting out good energy and, and things will will come back to you, right? I, I, I totally, totally agree. And um, it, uh, it, it's been a pleasure having you on, Sharon, for you to share your deep thinking about, about life. Uh, you are a very uh, accomplished athlete, but also someone who uh, has a great vision on the world. And uh, I very much appreciate you being on the podcast. Honestly, I could sit here and talk to you for the next couple of hours, uh, but I've got to think of the podcast. So uh, I'm going to thank you for your time. I uh, wish you the best of luck with everything that you're, that you're doing. Stay in touch. And if you ever come through uh, Denver, uh, please let me know. You know, I may have to come to Denver. I have a, a partner uh, play again now, and they're one of my sponsors. Part- I, I like to say partners instead of sponsors. I think that's right. When you say sponsor, I, I, I feel like like I'm just getting taking something and going my separate. But partners, I feel like it's, it means more to me. Yep. I have a partner based in, in Denver. She's based out there. So who knows? I may be out there someday. Please, please look me up. I will not win a sprint against you or, or any type of race for that matter. Um, but uh, maybe we can get out, get out and ride as well. We'll get some people to get them. For sure. All right. For well, sure. well, good. Um, th- thanks a lot, Sharon. I know it's getting a little late over there. Um, and um, but thanks for your time and thanks for being on the Ben and Bikes podcast. I appreciate it. You have a great, great evening, great day, and. We'll bump heads somewhere down the line. You know it. Thanks a lot. See you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Ben and Bikes podcast. You'll find this and many other episodes about athletes, authors, filmmakers, and community organizers, all with a story to tell about bikes by visiting benandbikes.com. Thank you for listening. We'd sure appreciate it if you could rate and review the Ben and Bikes podcast wherever you listen. We appreciate your support, and thanks for helping us connect with other bike enthusiasts. If you have a bike story to tell, email us, ben at benandbikes.com.